Please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. One of the sick people we prayed for this morning, we already have an update. <laughs> uh, Joe is on her way home from the emergency room right now, uh, dehydrated. So we'll look to get her hydrated <laughs> and just take care of her. So let's remember to drink water, okay? We got plenty of it just sitting around out in our yard, so you can just go scoop it up and throw it in your mouth. That's a good, good habit you could form is just to drink water however you can get it, okay? Got to stay hydrated. Uh, glad it wasn't anything more than that for her, and we'll just seek to, seek to take care of one another. Also, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you guys. Uh, glad you all are here today. Um, we want to focus on what the coming of Jesus was all about. That last hymn was perfect. That's what this, today's message is about, that Jesus was born to die, born to die upon Calvary. That's what our attention must be on this Christmas season and every season, that Jesus came to die for us. I was thinking as I was preparing this message, because <clears throat> there are... I'm giving so many Christmas messages this year. I mean, if you count Wednesday nights and the Christmas Eve service and everything, there are five different messages. Uh, and I thought, well, what do I want to do? I, this is an open, open uh, playbook, basically. And I thought, well, I'll go to Romans. And I thought, you know, I don't think I've ever preached in any of my past or here or anywhere a Sunday morning message from the book of Romans, Romans as my main text. Uh, I've been a little scared of ever starting Romans, you think the first Corinthian series has been long. If we ever start Romans, oh man, that'll take, that'll take years. Uh, but today we're going to cover a big section in Romans chapter 5, really starting with verse 6, as we seek to have our attention on the reason why Christ came. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at verses 15 to the end. I'll read those and then we'll go back up and start at verse 6. Well, let's start at... Verse 15 for now, and consider these words. The free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through the one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that... As sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, let's go back up and look at verses 6 through 11. 
what Andy read for us at the start of the service. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You've just heard the greatest news that you could ever hear, Christmas or otherwise. This passage, even those six verses we just looked at together, are just a great summary of the love of God, the gift of salvation offered to you. That's just the best news. It's the best news that we can be reconciled to God by His grace. And as we begin to look at what these verses teach, look at verse 6 with me again, and notice that amazing little phrase, the right time. Christ came at the right time. As generation after generation sought that coming one, we looked at Genesis 3 last week, the promise of the woman's seed who's going to crush the head of Satan. Generation after generation, is He coming? Is He coming? Where is He? Is He here now? Well, He was waiting for the time to be right. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. How could it be the right time? He waited so long thousands of years. And we, we think we know what God's timing should be, right? Because we have things that we've been waiting for. And we think, well, what's taking Him so long? Well, He's waiting for the right time. And how do we know it's the right time? It's because it's His time. <laughs> when He says it's time, that's the right time. And Christ came at the right time. Now, as we consider what made this time right from God's perspective, I want you to notice the descriptions of the setting here. You can first look for that word while, okay? W-H-I-L-E, while. What was going on that made this time right from God's perspective? Well, first, look at verse 6. It says, while we were helpless. That's a part of what made the time right. We were helpless. <laughs> look at verse 8. While we were sinners, while we were helpless, ungodly sinners, the timing was right when that was going on. That was a part of the, the picture. While we were helpless, while we were sinners. Look at verse 9. It says that through Christ, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. So another aspect of what was going on is it was while we were under the wrath of God. We were helpless sinners under the wrath of God, deserving God's wrath. And when it says we here, by the way, this is important to note, just in case you're starting to exempt yourself in your mind, I don't want any of you to do that. When it says we, it really means all of us, every single one of us. And all of us were on the track of receiving from God His very wrath. 
because there is no one who is neutral. This uh, idea that we're born into the world neutral and we've got the angel on one shoulder and the little devil on another shoulder and, we, you know, who do you listen to? And, and all of life is just these scales of how much good or how much bad you might do from this neutral position. That's all a myth. There's no one neutral, not one. Everyone who was born into this world is born with this bent to disobey. And we know this. We've lived it. There's never been one born innocent. The only innocent humans that ever lived were Adam and Eve for a very short time. And then, of course, the man Jesus Christ. But we're all born into this world guilty. And God's only attitude towards sin is wrath for punishment. That is God's only posture towards sin is wrath for punishment. Sin deserves the punishment of God. And just as darkness can't escape light, you turn on the light in a dark room and all the darkness goes away. Darkness can't escape the light. So we sinners can't escape the wrath of God on our own. And so we're helpless, as it says here in verse 6. We're classified as sinners, verse 8. We're deserving of the wrath of God, verse 9. This is all going on when Jesus came. This is what made the time right while we were helpless, while we were sinners, while we were deserving of the wrath of God. And one more, look at verse 10. While we were His enemies. While we were His enemies. God's enemies. Each one of us totally opposed to our Creator in such a way that Scripture says we were enemies of God. In our natural state, we're enemies of God. Now, these are hard words, especially during such a happy time in society as Christmas. These are harder words. Now, the society, the culture, the non-Christian world is celebrating Christmas in ignorance, aren't they? And what is happiness without truth but just foolishness? So as the truth is taken away and they're just happy that it's the Christmas season, that's just foolishness. It's ignorant bliss. And you are not to celebrate Christmas in foolishness. You are not to celebrate Christmas in ignorant bliss. Even the hymn we sang, Born to Die, that is a heavy hymn. It takes us from the manger and it sends us to the cross, doesn't it? And you'll notice in this passage, Paul's not spending any time on the manger. Paul's not talking about the animals making noise. Paul's not talking about how cute the little baby was, no crying he makes. That's not the focus, because that's not what's important. What's ultimately important is why he came. And he came at the right time, when we were helpless, while we were yet sinners, while we were under the wrath of God, while we were classified as enemies of God, to reverse these things on our behalf and to unite us, to reconcile us to God. It's interesting, when you look at the writings of Paul, in particular, the apostle, you don't have too many texts on the birth of Christ. In fact, I think about the closest we get is that passage I read between the songs, Galatians 4, when the fullness of time came, Christ was born, born to a woman, born under the law. And that's about as close as we get. 
Because Paul, it seems, was just so absolutely focused on the work of Christ through the cross and resurrection and the implications that that has on us today. Not that he thought it was unimportant that Christ was born of a virgin. That's extremely important. In fact, it's definitional to Christianity. But if we just have the birth without the death, what do we have? (laughs) Not salvation. Because Christ's birth alone doesn't save anyone. It's the cross and the empty tomb. And that's where our minds are being placed here in Romans chapter 5. There's a salvation that we need, and reconciliation with God is at the center of this. Look at verse 11. We exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. Being His enemies, we need to be reconciled to Him. And again, this means that we are not naturally children of God. Some people will go beyond teaching that we're born neutral, and they'll say that we're actually born in good favor with God, that we're born as His children already, that we can, just from the time that we're born, start calling Him Father, even though we are disobedient and sinful at heart. Scripture doesn't present that, does it? Scripture says we are His enemies. We are God's enemies. We're sinners deserving of death. We're captive to sin. And this didn't start recently. This started with the first man, Adam, and his offspring. When Adam fell, every generation thereafter was fallen. Adam failed as the representative for humanity. There was Adam representing all of humanity in the garden. And when he fell, we fell. Let's keep reading verse 12, verses 12 to 14. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned, in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, all sinned, we see here, not all sinned in the likeness of Adam, not all sinned in the likeness of the first one, but we've all sinned, verse 12 again. Death spread to all men, why? Because all sinned. When Adam fell, we all fell. Death came into the world through one man, but it spread to all. Now, we are on heightened awareness these days about things spreading, aren't we? We are just thinking about it all the time. Well, here's a disease that you have a 100% chance of getting. In fact, you've already gotten it if you're hearing me right now. You've already gotten it. And it is 100% lethal. Now, if we're scared of something that there's a percentage chance that you won't ever get and there's a pretty big percentage chance that it's not lethal to you, we're scared of that, how scared should we be of this disease? This sin that spreads to all people because all have sinned and the result for each one is death certainly. Not death maybe, but death certainly. 
generation after generation since the time of Adam has been ruled by death and been ruled by sin as this virus has been spreading to each and every one. Not one person exempt. You're not exempt from this terrible condition. Just like you've received your hair color, your eye color, and all those things about you from your earthly parents, you've received this spiritual condition all the way down the line, starting with Adam. And you're locked in to this position. There's nothing you can do to reverse the position that you're in. What's the solution here? Well, Paul, of course, points us to Christ. We saw it all through those first six verses, verses 6 through 11. Christ came and died on our behalf, it says in verse 6. He died for the unrighteous, verse 7. It's God's love that has intervened, that caused Christ to die for us. The love of Christ is His motivation. We're justified, verse 9, by His blood, the death of Christ, and it saves us from the wrath that we deserve. Verse 10, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. It's the death of Christ. We're saved by His life, it says at the end of verse 10. And we're reconciled as we exult in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The provisions of Christ's death secure our reconciliation with God. Takes away this wall that separated us from God, that that chasm that placed us so far away from our Creator because of our sin. And there are two words that I want to mention to you that are important to the book of Romans. One of them we don't see in our passage today, but it's still important. We'll start with that one. It's the word propitiation. Because of the propitiation of Christ, we see it in chapter 3, we see it in other places in the book, but the propitiation of Christ, that means that Jesus made the payment that we owed. You owed a payment to God, to your Creator. And instead of you being forced to make the payment that you owed, Christ came in and made the payment on your behalf. That's His propitiation. He bore God's wrath. Verse 9 again. We're saved from the wrath of God through Him. Why are we saved from the wrath of God through Him? Well, it's because He bore the wrath of God for you. If you are in Him, He has absorbed all the wrath of God so that there's none left for you to take on. There's nothing more that you owe in that regard, but Christ has satisfied the wrath of God. He became darkness that we might become light. He is the one who took on this sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So that's the first word, propitiation, the satisfactory payment of Christ. The second word is justification. And we see that multiple times through chapter 5. This is a declaration of total innocence. And this declaration is only made possible when there's a total removal of sin. If there was any sin left on your account you could not be called innocent. You could not be justified. You could not be declared righteous in any way. If there was just one little speck of sin on your life. And we don't judge this strictly 
We certainly don't judge ourselves this strictly. <laughs> but even when we're doing little tasks like cleaning windows or something, we will allow a little speck. Maybe some of you won't. I don't know how OCD some of you are. But most of us are okay with leaving little bits of imperfection behind, aren't we? Because after all, this is just a, a hamster wheel. It would be a futile effort if we tried to make everything absolutely perfect. you got to stop at some point. If you do that with your sin and treat your sin that way, you don't understand how bad your sin is. There can be no imperfection, no speck of sin left on your account if you are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you're going to be reconciled to God, if you're going to be united to your Creator, if that relationship is going to be restored, there can't be one little speck of dust on the window. It has to be perfect. So, when the Scriptures say that we're justified by Christ, again, verse 9, having now been justified, it means that our account has been absolutely, totally wiped clean. Our account is perfect. Our account is spotless. Our account has no sin on it whatsoever. In fact, those who believe are even declared righteous. Guilt is removed and total, absolute innocence is put in its place without one speck of sin. And so now, because of the finished work of Christ, God's enemies may become His children. Isn't this just great? That God's enemies who absolutely owe Him for their sin, this isn't arbitrary, This isn't God just being some sort of egotistical whatever. This is what we owed to our Maker because of our sin, our faults, our responsibility. We can be made children of God in total right relationship with God. We can be co-heirs with Christ, absolutely forever reconciled because of the finished work of Christ. And where Paul's going in this passage, what he's going to explain to us is that where Adam and all subsequent men failed as our representatives, failed as those who were to help their children, where Adam and all the rest have failed on our behalf to make us children of God, Christ has succeeded. Where we couldn't be made a child of God through any other one, Christ has succeeded. He speaks in terms of gift-giving now. Not only did Christ remove the sin from our account to reconcile us to God, but He imputed righteousness to us. Let's look at verse 15 again, verses 15 to 19. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died... Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, 
Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of the righteousness of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Unity between God and man existed in the beginning because God created perfectly. There was unity between God and Adam and Eve, but it all changed after the fall. And before we can rightly understand Christ's gift, we need to still understand more of what we inherited through Adam. You notice how Paul keeps bringing that to mind here. He's not just saying real quickly, we were sinners and then moving on. It's much deeper than that. Let's look at verses 15 and 17. Notice what we received from Adam in these verses. It's death. We received death from Adam. This, of course, is physical death. By the transgression of the one, the many died, but it's also spiritual death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. This includes a separation from God in life and in death. Total, utter hopelessness. Have you noticed in the Old Testament that we don't have verses then of to live as Christ and to die as gain? We don't have rejoicing at the death of one in the Old Testament. Death was not something that you could look forward to as it's going to get better, but there was a separation there that Christ had to fill the gap. Even in death, there was a physical, spiritual death, a separation from God, total, utter hopelessness. Verse 16 says we inherited from Adam judgment, not just death, but judgment. We went from being in a right relationship with God that God had with Adam to now being placed in a courtroom with God. Instead of having a father-son relationship with God, we all have a convict and judge relationship with God. We're on trial. All of humanity, we're subjects on trial. The result of this judgment, look again at verse 16, the result is condemnation. The judgment absolutely results in condemnation. You see that in verse 18 also. We, as we're in sin, we are totally without a plea. We have nothing to say. It's one of the easiest trials that could ever take place. You're on trial with the perfect judge of the universe sitting there, and the question is, did you sin? Well, that's pretty open and shut, isn't it? Did you rebel? Well, yes, absolutely you did, and you've received condemnation because of that. In your natural state, you've got nothing but condemnation as a result. And then look at verse 19 with me. See how you're classified there? You're made a sinner through Adam's disobedience. Taxonomy is the practice of classifying different things, giving names and titles to different species and things like that. The title that you have in your natural state is sinner. That's how you're classified. From God's perspective, 
The only label that you could own before Him is that of sinner. When Jesus told the, the short story about the, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the tax collector knew that that was his standing before God, didn't he? Remember his prayer? Very simple. Be merciful to me, a sinner. He owned the title because he understood his sin. And before God in our natural state, this is all that we have. Death, judgment, condemnation, and the title of sinner. That's it. But there's a gift. And the gift is not like that of what we've inherited from Adam. Praise God. <laughs> the gift that we receive from the second Adam, the true and better Adam, Jesus Christ, is much different. Look at verse 16. In contrast to the judgment we receive from Adam, we have justification from Jesus Christ. On the other hand, it says at the end of verse 16, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Before, the only result we could have is condemnation. And now, if you are in Christ, the only result you can have is justification. It's either 100% condemned or 100% justified. And in Christ, we are justified by the gift of His grace. And this creates a new state for those who believe in Him, those who are born again. Martin Luther called it simul justice et peccator. It's Latin. The word simul is where we get simultaneous. And justice is just sort for the just. And peccator is sinner. Simultaneously just and sinner. That's the new state you enter into if you are found in Christ by believing in His finished work. You have been totally, absolutely justified, though for the time being, you're still in this body of death, aren't you? Yet you're totally, absolutely, forever justified. R.C. Sproul had a great commentary on this phrase, simul justice et peccator. He says that Luther was saying... In our justification, we are at one and the same time righteous or just and sinners. Now, if he would say that we are at the same time and in the same relationship just and sinners, that would be a contradiction in terms, but that's not what he was saying. He was saying from one perspective, in one sense, we are just. In another sense, from a different perspective, we are sinners, in and of ourselves, under the analysis of God's scrutiny, we still have sin. We're still sinners. But by imputation and by faith in Jesus Christ, whose righteousness is now transferred to our account, then we are considered just or righteous. This is the very heart of the gospel. Simultaneously just and sinner. In place of the judgment of God, we have received justification. And in place of our former classification, where from Adam we receive the title sinner, look at what we receive from the second Adam, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness 
will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Verse 19, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. You see, in Christ, we have that title of sinner stripped away in the sense that God doesn't consider us that way anymore, but He considers us as righteous, doesn't He? He considers us as the very righteousness of God that was won for us through Christ. We no longer bear the taxonomy, the spiritual taxonomy of disobedient, rebellious enemies, but we have righteousness on our account as a gift given to those who trust in Christ. This takes us clearly beyond the mere removal of guilt. And in addition to that, it puts us in a position of blessing. Do you know what righteous people get? Blessings, rewards. And if you have the righteousness of God from Jesus Christ, what do you have from God? But blessings. Every promise made to you by God is yes and amen in Christ. No one can take that away. No one can strip that away. No one can say, yes, but you're just a man or just a woman and and you're sinful. And you can say, yes, but I'm justified. And I've been given the gift of righteousness from Jesus. Without this righteousness, we're kept from the presence of God. This is required for entry into heaven, righteousness. You have to have this on your account, this righteousness from Jesus. And here's some good news. God never just removes sin. He always, in addition to removing sin, adds righteousness. He never just does part one. It's always both and. He removes the guilt from your account and places onto your account total, absolute righteousness. He never does just one. He always does both. Just as all sinners will absolutely receive punishment because of what's on their account, their sin, all those in Christ will receive blessing because they're all righteous in Him. We're given this gift while we remain in our fallen condition, but we're accounted as absolutely righteous. We're no longer dead in sin, but now we're dead to sin. That's what the book of Romans teaches as we live in Christ. And in place of death, we have life itself. Look again at the end of verse 17. This gift of righteousness, what's it doing? It's reigning in life through the one Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19 again. Through one, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. In verse 20, the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no longer any death for the child of God to fear. That sin that spreads to 100% of all people, and there's 100% chance of, of dying. Well, that can be reversed in Jesus Christ. That death can be taken away so that you'll never taste it. 
and you'll have eternal life as righteousness reigns through life by the gift that's in Jesus. There's no longer any death for you to fear, but there's eternal, abundant life. What did Christ say? He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. He's taking away the death that we deserve for our sin. And as these last two verses of the chapter have said, as mankind continued to display our depravity through the law, the law came in and what did we do? Well, we just displayed that we really are bad. <laughs> we can't do it. We, we have no righteousness of our own. But as that happened, grace was even greater. Whether Jew or Gentile, the law was continuously disobeyed. People were proving themselves to be what Scripture says, helpless, ungodly, sinful. But God's gift appeared to replace that terrible condition that we established from ourselves, for ourselves, from Adam. At the right time, Christ came. The right time. Christ came, and He offers us justification, righteousness, and eternal life. So what, what do we think of when we think of the manger and the Christmas scene? Well, here's what I really want you to practice as a discipline. This is what I, I desire for you to do in your own mind. When your mind goes to Christmas, when your mind goes to the manger, Send your mind directly to the empty cross. Just don't let your mind skip a beat. Don't think about the newborn Christ without seeing Him through the empty cross. Because what is the child without the cross? He's not our Savior. He's not our Lord. He's not our God. He didn't accomplish salvation for us, if that's the case. You know, the world has Christmas, and then months later, the world has Easter. I want you to have the manger and the cross and the empty tomb all together every day. That's what I want for you. I want you to see it all together, and I want you to carry it with you in your heart day by day. The birth, the death, the resurrection, all together, every day. Jesus came to undo Adam's fall and to grant to us total freedom and to grant to us life in His name. He came to deliver God's grace, which is the greatest gift we could ever know. It's the greatest gift we could ever have. It's the grace that's described in Romans chapter 5. And so discipline your mind. To never have the manger apart from the cross. Keep them together. And as you go into your Christmas celebrations this week, take it with you. Take it with you. That every moment is cherished, not only through the cross, but because of the cross. Because you've been reconciled to God, you can truly celebrate what this season is all about. Let's pray. God, we again thank you for your provisions. We thank you that you've given us total, absolute reconciliation, perfect blessing in Christ through His death on our behalf and through the resurrection. God, we trust in His finished work alone. We don't trust in anything that we've done. 
but we rely totally on the merits of Christ. And we ask that we would cherish more and more this gift of grace. And that this week, we wouldn't be distracted by all the things that we have to do and the things that need to be baked and cooked and wrapped. That none of that would distract us from the greatest gift of all that's already been given, that no one can take away, that lives in our hearts 24-7, 365. The gift of your grace through Jesus. Make that our supreme focus in all that we do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.